Hey there, today I'm bringing you my conversation with Brian Frazier. Brian is a pastor, he's a former seminary dean, and he's the founder of Jazz Think, which is an organization that uses uh, the concepts of jazz and music to develop leadership skills in nonprofits. It's, it's really cool. Brian and I get into the difference between being a disciple of Christ and an ambassador of Christ. So if you've ever sat around a table with somebody else or maybe just by yourself and wondered how can we make outreach and evangelism work in today's cultural context, this is a can't miss episode. Can't wait for you to hear it. So let's go. Hey there, welcome back. My name is Mike. I'm a church helper and my goal is to help your church make every decision on purpose. Now, before we get going with our interview with Brian, a couple things that I just like to remind you of. You can catch this episode on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or on YouTube. You can follow us on social. And what we'd really love for you to do is uh, to join our email list. We send out one email a week with some practical ministry tips. I think, you know, getting those would be really helpful. The people that receive them have always given us feedback and said they love the things that go on there. Oh, and also make sure you just take that two seconds and subscribe to our podcast or our YouTube channel and leave a comment so that we know what you're thinking and we can talk back. Okay, today I'm talking to Brian Frazier and throughout his university years, Brian ministered in Presbyterian congregations in Ontario. In 1985, he was appointed the, uh, the dean of St. Andrew's Hall, which is a Presbyterian college in BC, and a professor of history at the Vancouver School of Theology. Uh, Brian left that in 2002 to establish Jazz Think, where he uses the wit and wisdom and workings of jazz to provoke smarter conversations and generate flourishing communities. He continues to practice the arts of nonprofit leadership as part-time minister with Brentwood Presbyterian Church in Burnaby, and he serves on multiple nonprofit boards and helps them through leadership things as well. In this episode, Brian and I dig deep into what it means to be a disciple and an ambassador of Christ and how to consider those terms practically when developing ideas for evangelism in today's cultural context. I think you're really gonna enjoy this episode, so let's go. Well, hi, Brian. Thanks so much for uh, joining me on the podcast today. Really excited to have Great you Great to be here, Mike. Thanks for having me. <laughs> That's awesome. So uh, just for the benefit of our listeners, uh, why don't you just take a minute and uh, share a little bit of your background uh, and maybe why you're so passionate about, you know, uh, supporting nonprofit leaders and board members and church elders and, and the, the, you know, that sort of uh, tier of, of folks. Sure. Um Born and bred Presbyterian, Canadian Presbyterian, um, Niagara Falls, Drummond Hill Presbyterian Church there. Um, went to U of T, lived at Knox College through most of my uh, education there until I got married. Um, uh, did a BA in history, came back and taught in my old high school, did an MA in the history of education, worked as the general secretary of the student Christian movement at U of T did my theology at Knox, and then did my doctorate in Canadian history, looking at the social gospel among Canadian Presbyterians uh, at York University with Ramsey Cook. Then eight years in the parish in Toronto, lead Presbyterian church just below Young and Eglinton, came out to Vancouver in 85 to become dean of the Presbyterian College out here, St. Andrews Hall, mm -hmm. taught uh, church history at Vancouver School of Theology until 2002, started my consulting business called Jazz Think. Then 
Um, and then after a jazz think uh, gig helping a congregation that was that the presbytery had tried to close three times, helping them reimagine a flourishing future, they started to ask if I'd come and work with them part time. And so the fourth time I said yes and haven't had a moment's regret since. Oh, that's awesome. Now, in all of that, um, certainly by the time I hit my master's program, what I was interested in was organizational flourishing. Mm-hmm. And the leadership that enabled that to happen in that order, which I think is, is really important, especially in the context of so much organizational development and leadership literature now that, that is kind of focused on the heroic individual mm. that goes in and either creates or helps to resurrect um, or gently kills off um, an organization. Mm-hmm. And so I think this, this, this flow will come into our conversation over and over again. I think the proper biblical flow of organizational development and leadership is God creating a good creation and mm-hmm. um, enlisting, creating humanity to help God care for that creation mm-hmm. and uh, creating a church goes back to Abraham and the covenant to be a blessing to the whole of creation, a community um, to be ambassadors of that. And we'll get into that. Mm -hmm. And then leadership are those who contribute to the missioning of that community in the care of creation. Mm -hmm. And it's that broad and that cosmic to use that. (laughs) What may be a trigger word for some people. (laughs) <laughs> there's a ton there which i know we're going to get to uh, uh, we, uh and we'll get to you know i think we'll get to jazz think a little bit later on too i'm excited yeah to it'll kind of that. seep in yeah yeah it's... which is awesome i'm excited <laughs> to hear that but you know something that we were talking a little bit a, a bit ago and you mentioned even just now um is uh, you know when we were having a conversation we were talking about the difference between being ambassadors for christ and being disciples of Christ. And that was a really interesting conversation for me, just the way you define those two things. And then also the importance of how we're actually supposed to act and sort of be the church out in our communities. And that sort of weaves into a lot of the things that you just mentioned. Can you, can you just expand on that a little sure. bit? So uh, part of this has to do with uh, what the what the people I call the Duke divines. So, <laughs> so these are people who, who teach at Duke University, at, okay. at the Divinity School, Duke Divinity School. <laughs> okay. And there's a guy by the name of L. Greg Jones, um, who's been kind of seminal in that community. Uh, and uh, so he coined a phrase, I can't remember how long, um, a coined a phrase, traditioned innovation, which as an historian, I really like. Right. Uh, because Northrop Fry, Sally McFaig were the people that I really got this from initially. But but um, creativity arises between the lines of the tradition. Mm. And so it's not a question of coming in and creating something new. Right. You know, frankly, you don't have creating in the biblical sense is way beyond our pay grade. Right. Right. 
right? Of course, yeah. There's, there's one creator, <laughs> and, and, and we've been spending all sorts of time, generation after generation, trying to replace that creator. Mm, right. And I don't think it's worked out horribly well. <laughs> right. uh, however, so uh, so what? So my tradition is Canadian Presbyterianism, born and bred. Right. Um, it, we adopted as our most contemporary subordinate standard. So Presbyterians take theology and how you think about your relationship with God seriously. Sure. And so in that, and so we put together a, a document called Living Faith. And you, you've hung around Presbyterians enough, and, and Lauren's been born and bred at Presbyterian. Right. So you know that's a little green book. That's right, yeah. And, but in the introduction to that green book, which hardly anybody ever reads, <laughs> what they say is, look, the great affirmation of the core truth of the gospel mm -hmm. is 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verses 19 to 21. And in essence, it's uh, God was forgiving and reconciling the world to himself in Jesus Christ and making us ambassadors of that message. And the word for ambassadors is presbyuos. Right. Right. So, so we don't normally, we usually say presbyuos and, and it's uh, connected words have to do with elders. It has to do with rulers, you know, kind of rulers of the, the community. Sure. Um, and we forget that dimension in the word that has to do with being an ambassador of the message of God's forgiving and reconciling love. Right. So uh, if you went and asked 30 Presbyterians what the core purpose of the Presbyterian Church in Canada is, you wouldn't get that answer. Right, right. Be right. my guess. <laughs> but it seems to me, and we're gonna, we may pick up on this, but it seems to me that if we're looking to get to the jazz analogy, if we're looking for a melody line, for what jazz musicians call a chord chart, right. of what it is we're playing and improvising around and for, that's it. We are ambassadors of God's forgiving and reconciling love in Jesus Christ every in every relationship that we have right yeah of course and the church is there to nourish us to flourish in that missioning right right and how then is okay so so because we don't talk about being ambassadors a lot we talk we about don't. being we talk disciple. about being disciples dis a ton <laughs> the big thing is disciple making right? let's yes. be disciple making and we right. quote matthew go and make disciples of all the world blah 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 yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you're not saying disciple making is bad what you're saying is that uh you know this there's a big difference between those those two words being an ambassador and being a disciple yeah, and, are and not I even think, like they're not the same thing i think ambassador takes it to a nick to the to another level and ups, right ups the significance um, and, and the importance of it, right. right? So, and when you read the discipleship literature, which you've done and I've done, mm -hmm. um, I mean, this is there in a sense, but I think there's something, especially for Presbyterians, about the idea of ambassador, presbyuos, um, that, that's significant. And so is, is a tradition out of which we can innovate um, the language I use is faithfully, wisely, and effectively. Right. So a disciple is basically a learner, a follower. Right. Right. right? Sure. And my question is, what are you doing with the learning and the following? Right. Right. 
<laughs> you're learning. No, you're I mean, so so that so that's great. I mean, I, I, you got to do that. Yeah. But you start talking about being ambassadors, being a core of ambassadors. Right. And, you know, the body of Christ is a core of ambassadors for the message. Right, right, right. Of, of, of Christ. And it's, mm-hmm. so it's it's more than just Jesus. Right. Right. This is not about getting into alignment, simply getting into alignment with Jesus. It's about how do you take that alignment and represent it literally right. in every conversation you have every day of your life? Right, right. And so having that, it seems to me that thinking through, I've, I've, I've formed a sense of trust and loyalty um, to the triune creator. Uh, the, the community of the Trinity is more and more important to me in thinking about church. Uh, so we are incorporated into a community, um, not just an individual, but into a community. Mm-hmm. And that shapes everything um, we think of in terms of the faith. And so there's there's a set of responsibilities, and I'm still kind of, of talking with people and, and asking people what they would imagine those responsibilities to be. I think at, at the core... Um, they are uh, tending to and caring for and inspiring and instructing through uh, the four things that in my consulting work with congregations. So I always ask congregations what they value most about what the church offers them. Right. And what the church is doing to offer that value. Right. And in that second question, some version of, usually in this language, some version of worship, learning, fellowship, and service come up. Now, uh, that's without any teaching on my part. Just uh, I start by asking them that question. Yeah. And when you break it down, those are the five marks of the early church. Worship is liturgia. Right. Learning is kerygma and didache. Fellowship is, di- is koinonia. And service is diakonia. Right. So somewhere in, in kind of the DNA of these people who value, find the church as a valuable source of nourishing them to flourish in their lives, sure. they understand uh, what they're ambassadors of and the means they have to exercise that ambassadorship. Right. Right. And, and so Peter Drucker, um, one of the great uh, um, organizational development um, thinkers of the 20th century, um, once said to a biographer, he said, well, I used to ask my corporate clients, the most, what's the most successful organization in Western history? And he'd say they'd come up with all sorts of options. And I'd finally say after about 15 or 20 minutes, no, yeah, you haven't come anywhere close. <sighs> he said the most successful organization in Western history is the Christian church. Right. Yeah, of course. And then he'd go in and say, look, and here are the elements of building that culture right. in a way that is resilient, robust, adaptable, innovative, because no other organization has gone into as many different contexts over as many different periods of time and flourished uh, as the church has. Now, 
it's a treasure in earthen vessels, right? I mean, all sorts of uh, misrepresentations of Jesus' message that we've sure. been part of, all sorts of traumatizing that we've inflicted. But still, um, we keep coming back to worship Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday mm-hmm. um, to confess the misrepresentations and get fed on better ways of thinking about and being the church in the world. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting to me. Uh, maybe it's just, you know, because of, you know, my age or the people that I've been around or maybe some of the stuff that I've been reading. Uh, it seems like the church is uh, right now in, in a lot of what I see almost more criticized for not being, you know, adaptable in, in sort of all of those things that you just described. Um, where do you think that disconnect is, or like, is, is there a change that we're seeing right now that maybe we're, we're not one of the, you know, most successful organizations in Western history, or, you know, is that just always this natural want for us to, you know, do more, be better, be better ambassadors. And, in you know, are we just in a time where we're frustrated that it's not working as well as maybe it <laughs> used to? Yeah. <laughs> So, so two or three dimensions of that of that question. I, <laughs> yeah, sorry, there's like three in there. Yeah. Well, no, 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 but it's a but it's a crucial question. Yeah. So I think part of the difficulty are the negative assumptions that a lot of people writing about new worshiping communities, fresh expressions, new witnessing communities, um, the the language keeps changing. Right. The assumption is that the churches are filled with a bunch of old stick in the mud people right. who don't want to change, right? Sure. I mean, yes. they, never, they never say it quite that bluntly. Yes, I've but, heard that. But it's yeah. there. Yeah. And and I just, I think that's wrong. Right. Right. Um, I've been consulting with churches now for 30, 35 years. And I frankly never found that in any congregation that I've worked with. Right. right. But I think the reason I haven't found it is that I haven't gone looking for it. Okay. Right. And so, I mean, there's that, I can't remember. There's that kind of folk tale about the, the traveler comes along and the, and the, they uh, ask the farmer what he's going to find in the next village. And uh, the farmer says, well, what are you looking for? <laughs> and and right. the, first, the, the first traveler has, well, I've got all of these concerns and anxieties about what I'm going to find. You know, I've been on the road for four years and, and they're going to reject me and all of that sort of stuff. And the farmer said, yep, that's what you'll find. Right, right. And the next guy comes along with all sorts of positives. And the farmer says, yep, that's what you're going to find. Sure. Yeah. And so a big part of it has to do with, um, do we, are we really open right. to the fact that the spirit has been working in that congregation, in that community since it was formed mm-hmm. to help them be ambassadors of the message of God's forgiving and reconciling love. Right. And if you go in looking for that, you will find it. Right. Are there all sorts of things that are getting in the way of it happening more faithfully, wisely, and effectively? Absolutely. But it, for me, it, it's it's a question of asking people, what do you value about what the church offers you? And how does the church deliver that value? Okay, now what's getting in the way of that happening better? Right, right. They know, right? They're not, I mean, 
the wisdom of most people in most congregations is far greater than most church consultants give them credit for. And mm -hmm. they don't ask, right? Mm -hmm. They come in with an answer to impose yeah. rather than um, an opportunity as the community, the whole community. Yeah, yeah. So that's one part of it. The other part of it is, is this idea that somehow the church is, is not in the world. The church is, is this kind of, of frightened uh, community behind these, these garrison walls to keep out all the nasty things that are happening in the world. Right. And what we've really got to do is go out into the world and connect with the world because we're not connected with the world. Right, right. And I'm sitting there saying, there's a, a guy by the name of Bradley Morris that you may have run across him. Um, wrote a book called Already Missional. Okay. Um, and Morrison's point is, where do you think people on Sunday morning go after you pronounce the benediction? <laughs> right? <laughs> sure. I mean, duh. There's a, blind, there's a blinding flash of the obvious. Right, yeah. They go out into the world. Have you right. asked them <laughs> who they're talking to, who they're working with, what kind of issues that, that those people that they're encountering, what you can do as a church to strengthen them in their missioning in the world? Right. You know, since um, since Jesus pulled together the disciples, we've been doing that. Right. Right. Going that's that's the nature of the church. Yeah. Now, what are you going to do to strengthen that ambassadorial core? Because it's already there and it's already in the world. Right. And, and if you don't convene conversations, right, this is where I think church leadership, it's a question of how do you become curious about what the spirit is doing among and in and through the people who are gathered in that congregation. It can be five, it can be 50, it can be 500, it can be 5,000, mm -hmm. right? The church through them, they are members of the body of Christ yeah. who disperse into the world to be Christ's ambassadors, to be Christ's blessing in every conversation that they have. Mm -hmm. There's two but things. if we don't value that, and if we don't see it, then um, we're not going to work with it. <laughs> and yeah. people, I mean, the other the other piece about all of this is that <clears throat> people won't engage if they are not being heard respectful. Right. Right. I was working with a church a little bit ago. This is you sort of jumped me here. A couple different ones. I'm combining, you know, two things into one thing here. But um, uh, we were working with one church who was trying to figure out sort of what the community needed. And mm -hmm. so we were going through this process. And I, I just kind of said to them, okay, like your homework this week is to go out and talk to everybody you know. Uh, you know, uh, call the mayor, call your ward counselors, talk to community leaders, walk into the bank, do whatever it is. And find, you know, the spiritual and physical needs in, in that community and bring yeah. them back. I said, and if you don't do that next week, we're not going to have anything to talk about because I'm not coming with anything. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right? And then, um, you know, and, and, and during that same conversation, we were talking about sort of what you're talking about. It, it was under the, the sort of umbrella, I think, of the word evangelism, but ambassadorship, discipleship, sort yeah. of that was the theme. Uh, and, and, you know, one person in, in this church was saying, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how to talk about my faith in a way that isn't offensive. 
which was like a weird thing to say. Not like it wasn't a weird thing to say because I think we we're living in a culture right now where I think a lot of Christians are running scared to not say the wrong thing. But also, you know, it was interesting coupled with this other conversation uh, of like, what does your community need? And yeah. so, you know, when we talk about being an ambassador in our community uh, about, you know, going, you know, you, you leave the church, where do you go? Right. Um, practically, you know, how are churches, you know, either doing or not doing a good job of finding out the needs of their community. Yeah. And then, you know, do you think you know, maybe this is, a, I don't, I don't trying to be a trap question here theologically, but do you think people should worry about being offensive or like a lot of people think, Oh, sharing my faith is, is offensive in today's yeah. culture, but I'm not sure that that's the case. I think people are maybe just afraid that, you know, what are the skills of ambassadorship? How are you actually yeah. reaching out to your community? That yeah. sort of thing. Am I like, you know what I'm saying by this? Yeah, no, this is no. And they're, they're crucial questions. So let me bounce off them uh, in two or three different directions, or maybe even more as you right. think. Right? <laughs> Which is fine. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that um, part of it is to conceptualize the process of connecting with your community mm-hmm. as uh over the long-term rather than the short-term. So you don't have to have the conversation about faith. um, When you ask the question about what's your perception of the community's needs, right? Just ask that question and listen for the answers. Right. And then go make notes on what you've heard. Right. That's it. Right. Um, Because chances are, that's not going to be the last conversation you have with that person. Right. So we co-create the church one conversation after another. And what we tend to do in our society is think about one conversation at a time. Right. And that loads a whole different set of expectations and pressures and anxieties Mm -hmm. on that conversation. So think about curious conversations. Just go ask questions. Um, I'll come back to that in a minute, in a minute. Um, I don't think we, especially as the mainline churches, um, and I know you're working with a whole range of, you know, across whatever that, that spectrum is. I hate labels, but, but there we go. Yeah. Um, we haven't done a very good job in allowing people to practice their articulation of their faith. And the reason we haven't is that we've tended to think of ministry, especially ordained ministry or ordered ministry, however one wants to talk about it, in terms of monological messaging. I'm the expert. I'm going to tell you how to be church. Right. And it usually happens for most people on a Sunday morning. Sure. And it usually happens through the sermon. Right. 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 Um, And we very seldom do dialogical sermons. Right. What do you think? I mean, one of the things we're, we're just nibbling at the edges of it around at Brentwood. Um, but before every sermon, um, we have a word, a conversation about a word to ponder. Okay. And so I choose a word or phrase from, from the scripture passage and literally ask the congregation, what comes to mind when you hear this word? Sure. And that conversation will go on for about five minutes or so. And uh, when I, 
published the sermon, put it up on the website, that congregational wisdom is at the, is at the beginning of the sermon. Right. And I'm listening to this stuff and saying, oh, man, I wish I'd preached on that. <laughs> <laughs> and every now and then I'll improvise and work it into the sermon. But what it, what it does is model this sense that we do our theology in conversation with each other. It's not the, the it, it's not the work of experts right it's the work of the whole community right in understanding the significance of our relationship with god and how that puts us into relationship with each other into relationship with the self god wants us to be and in relationship with the community um so so i think that um that that sense of the conversations being long-term, we do a lot of work with the jazz community at Brentwood. Um, and we see that. So one of the things, this goes to jazz think, one of the things when I was thinking about beginning to uh, consult with nonprofits, um, organizational flourishing and the leadership that enables that to happen. Um, I've been a jazz fan since I bought Oscar Peterson's Canadiana Suite in 1965 at Sam the Record Man's in Toronto for right. $3.99. It was on sale. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, But when I started thinking about what's the, what's the hook for the consulting that I want to do that, that very few other people have, you know, it's kind of that, how do you distinguish yourself as a consultant? And so I started digging into jazz and organizations and there wasn't much stuff around, but what was there was, um, was just fascinating and intriguing. And one of the connections that came through early was the most common form of jazz in human experience is ordinary conversation. Mm. So you and I have been playing jazz for, right. the, for this entire conversation. Sure. Yeah, of course. Yeah. There, we've got, there's, there's, there's vocabulary and grammar that we both understand. And so that gives us enough structure to have a fruitful, I hope, conversation together. But but we're improvising right. around that vocabulary and that structure. And if you asked me the same question in 30 seconds, I'd come up with different ways of, of answering the question. Sure. Yeah. So in at every point in our lives as we're having conversations, we're playing jazz, we're improvising. Mm. Um, we're not reading off a script. I love that. Right? So cool. And so um, if you were to pay attention to and manage the sound and substance of your voice in a conversation, the way jazz musicians manage the sound and substance of their instruments in a performance, what difference would it make to the quality of community that you're generating? Mm. One conversation after another. After another, sure. So begin with the curious conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think? And listen with respect. Right. Because listening with respect is what creates safe space. Right. And welcome. Right. I mean, if you are content, and I think people have a gut sense of this, which is why they're reluctant to do what most people think of as testifying and witnessing right. and, and being evangelists. Um, if you contend or if you criticize, you take up all the space and you push people out of the conversation. Sure. 
right? The only space they've got is to agree or disagree. Right. And chances are these days, given the public perception of Christianity, they haven't had any experience, or if they have had a toxic experience of the church, they'll just turn off and and walk away. That's going to be, they won't engage in the conversation. Yeah. Um, And I think that part of the difficulty that, that, you know, certainly folks like you and I, and our understanding of the church, part of the difficulty we face is the public perception of the church in an increasingly secularizing society is becoming more and more negative and is focused on those dimensions of the church, those manifestations of the church that I would say um, grossly misrepresent Jesus and his message. And if I can jump in, that's, that's making people inside the church skittish. Yeah. Right? Oh, absolutely. Like that's that's the perception from outside, but people from inside are hearing that, and they're again trying to formulate this different way to have the conversation or this new strategy, or 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 are starting to doubt the ways that they would have talked about their faith before, mm-hmm. because now all of a sudden, mostly what they're hearing is negative. So they're going, "Oh, like I must be doing something wrong. How can I switch this?" Or and yeah. I, I think that's a, that's affecting how we're reaching out to our communities too, right? Well, and I think the other piece that goes back to the monological messaging piece is, is that the way in which we have been teaching the faith, right? right the, the charisma part of the, of the, of, uh, the Didache part of it, um, is that we've fallen into this trap of saying um, clergy or church consultants Right. Um, dare I include us in all of them, <laughs> um, are the experts. And what we really have to do is just listen to them and, and parrot what they say. Oh, gosh. I make the joke. I've said this to you, Brian, all the time. If I ever find myself in a room where I'm the smartest person in the room, I get out of that yeah, room. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's not a but good But I room. think so. So listen, and, you know, when you look at the normal rhythm of the life of a congregation. Yeah. Where do people have the space to practice articulating their faith? Mm -hmm. And there aren't a lot of places. No. Yeah. Because like you said, it's, it's that it's, it's monological messaging. It's from the front. It's the, again, I'm sure you too, in your your time, I've been doing this a lot less time than you have, but even I've started to notice that, you know, it's, it's the pastor's job. It's right. Oh yeah. Even simple things, uh, you know, somebody, uh, you know, somebody new comes into a congregation and, and they're having a conversation with somebody they just met that was sitting beside them. And that person goes, well, let me go meet the pastor. And I, I'm, I'm sitting there going, well, they're already talking to you. Why do they need to go meet? <laughs> <laughs> like, like they're, they're, they, they're building this, this relationship with you right now. Like don't, don't cut that short, right? That yeah. I love that term you used, right? The, the congregational wisdom, right? It, it, well, it's something that we it, don't, we don't focus on enough. Maybe. The other phrase that we use a lot around Brentwood is, is dialogical discernment, mm. right? So I think that that's a kind of classic Presbyterian tradition. We understand, we come to understand through the inner witness of the Holy Spirit in among us and within us, right? Um, what it is the Spirit is teaching us about the forgiving and reconciling love of God in Christ. Mm-hmm. As in John's gospel in the 14th chapter, I'm, you know, you're going to get the spirit to teach you stuff that, that I haven't even talked about. Right. And so there's the tradition within Canadian Presbyterianism that's in the preamble to our ordination vows about the spirit leading us into reformulating the faith. Right. 
for our time in our place. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that we don't take the scriptures and that core message of God's forgiving and reconciling love seriously, but it does mean that we're humble about us having gotten it straight and and clear at any time in our past. Um, So how do you create that safe space Mm -hmm. of belonging and of learning and of contributing and of innovating in a congregation. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, you don't do it by taking up all the space um, monologically messaging. Yeah. One of the, and I haven't actually done this, but it's one of those crazy Fraser ideas uh, (laughs) that I, that I think would probably work. Right. And in terms of helping people figure out how to articulate their faith. Right. Um, so most of us in mainline churches are 55 plus. I mean, the mainline church essentially is a Zoomer church. Right. Now, um, and we spend all of our, not all of our time, we spend far too much of our time agonizing over who isn't there. Right. Our kids aren't there. Our grandkids aren't there. The young families aren't there. Um, the Mike and the Laurels aren't there. You know, what What, what are we going to do? Oh, let's go. Let's go hire a, worth, a youth worker. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And a hundred thousand dollars in two years later, because we never pay youth workers decently. Um, you know, two youth have come and we can't sure. afford to keep the poor person around. Right. Um, yeah. I anyhow. And in those two day. years, very few of the youth ever actually met anybody else in the congregation. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, we'll create awesome. these little bubbles and right. <laughs> keep them there. Yes, yes, Pizza yes. and movie on Friday night. We're going to build a silo um, just so we say we've got it. And then, yeah, for sure. Exactly. <laughs> Whereas at Brentwood, what we've done is, is started a big band, right. all of whom are in their 20s. Oh, cool. <laughs> and so that's been, that's been wonderful. That's another story. Right. Um, but I think, so So this, the, the crazy idea is invite your kids and grandkids to dinner one night and talk about to, and to help you plan your funeral. Oh, okay. I'm, I, I, my interest is peaked. Now that I have your attention. Yes. I mean, you had right. it before, but now I'm no, leaving. But still, so, yes. so, <laughs> so and, and, and here's the, here's the, here's the chord chart for the conversation. Right. I'd like to have these scripture passages read. Right. I'd like to have these hymns sung. Right. I'd like to have so-and-so playing. I'd like to have so-and-so conducting my funeral. Right. Now, in every one of those situations, you have an opportunity to say, why do I like these hymns? Right. Why, why do I want these hymns sung as people are celebrating my contribution to their lives? Interesting. Why do I want these scripture passages read? What, what's significant and important to me about mm. these scripture passages? Right. Um, What's important to me about my relationship with, with the woman I want to conduct my funeral? What, how, is, how has she supported me? How has she been pastor to me and preacher and teacher to me and worked with me in the broader church and worked with me in the broader community? Um, that, that little um, kind of... Uh, set of functions comes from research. I wrote the history of Knox College for its 150th anniversary. And I wanted to find out what the church expected of clergy and expected the college to help prepare people for, rather than just let the college define what, what they thought clergy. Right. Should. 
Right, right, right. So we read a thousand obituaries. Oh my goodness. Because <laughs> in the back of the action proceedings of the Presbyterian Church in Canada, the annual uh, national meeting, all of the ministers who died get half a third to a half page okay. of an obituary. And they're all written by buddies. They were all men in the, in the time that we looked at it. All written by buddies who wanted to make them look good for the culture of the church. Right, right, yeah. So you can't rely on them for any historical data right. or for an accurate assessment of their real presence in the world. Right. But if what you want to do is find what the culture values most, of course, because that person is going to write about exactly. and highlight those things. It's brilliant. That's brilliant, yeah. of course. So what we came up with over 100 years and across every region in Canada in this order was pastor, preacher, presbyter, and citizen. Interesting. Right? So it's connecting with the people, right. loving your people. Right. Preacher is preacher and teacher. So, so being an ambassador of the message of the gospel. Yeah, right. Doing that within the connectional church, not just this little congregation, but in the broader church, right? Denominationally, ecumenically, globally, and then being involved in the community, right? And it's not four specializations; it's four dimensions of one calling. Of one calling, sure, yeah. And so I, that's, um, and when I say that to congregations, they say, "Yeah, that's what we want." Yeah. Now let's talk about how those four functions would work best for those people at this point in their history as ambassadors, a core of ambassadors of God's forgiving and reconciling love, right. and how we can collaborate and contribute together right. to make that um, a flourishing presence in the world. Right. That's so, those, I'm um, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. I, that, that's, I, I went down that rabbit hole and, and let's let you get you get me out of that rabbit no, hole. No, I know we're going deeper. No, <laughs> uh, that so that's interesting uh, because you know it, okay. So w what were the four things again? Uh, um, so uh, pastor, pastor, preacher, preacher. They, they preacher, but that a teacher as well, right? right. Presbyter, um, presbyter. So involved for, in Presbyterianism, that's involved in the in the poor connectional church. So. Uh, congregation, Presbytery, Synod, General Assembly, right, yeah. Real Communion of Reformed Churches. Um, so it, it were seen to be a branch of, a branch plant, we might say, right. um, of the um, uh, of the global church, of, of the Church of Jesus Christ. So, uh, so pastor, preacher, presbyter, and then... And uh, citizen. Citizen. Right. So citizen is how are you contributing to the well to the welfare, to use Jeremiah's word, to the welfare of the city, because in its welfare, you'll find your own. And I think, you know, you people and again, this is just that it's that monological view. It's people thinking it's the pastor's job. It's the hesitancy of your ability to get out there and talk about your own faith. Everybody has the ability to be everybody is practically at least three of four of those things in some area of their life anyway. The, yeah, absolutely. Like, it's not like, uh, it's not like people, almost everybody knows how to teach somebody else about something. Almost yeah. everybody is a part of the community. Almost everybody has a, a group of people that they're caring about. Exactly. None of, none of these uh, characteristics are, are just, you know, intended for ministers or pastors or ordained folks everybody has these that exist. I think what you do is they just, you know, the, your, your congregation members will compare themselves to somebody who was trained to do this job 24 seven. 
Yeah, because it's not 40 hours a week. And then you'll, uh, right? And then you'll- Notice that, did you? Right, yeah. <laughs> and then you compare yourself to that. But really, it's it's uh, uh, everybody, again, going back to that, you know, uh, one conversation after another, as opposed to just one conversation and the, the congregational wisdom. Everybody in the congregation has the ability to do that. And there's there's no winning at that, right? And so I think the task of leadership um, so first of all, I think Presbyterian theology at its best understands leadership as collegial and corporate, right? Right. Nobody on their own has any authority, any authority in the Presbyterian system of, of governance. Right. Um, you are uh, part of a council. Um, we call them courts. It's, it's, it's not great language uh, for our day and age, but it comes from the medieval court that was the community that gathered around the monarch to provide counsel sure. about the well-being of the realm. So that's what church courts, councils, are all about. God reconciles us, brings us back into counsel with each other and God mm-hmm. for the welfare of God's creation. That, that's what anytime you are sitting on a governing board in any congregation, that's what you're doing. And so the question becomes, how do you contribute constructively to ordering, to provoking, calling forth, um, calling forth the gifts that God has given that congregation and helping organize those gifts for the missioning of the church? That's your essential task. Yeah. Um, as it, on any governing board, we, we call them sessions and congregations. Right. Um, but it's um, so that the core principle of Presbyterian polity in, in, that we define in Canada is to take away all occasion for tyranny by ensuring full participation right. to enable full responsibility. Mm. So that goes back to that being curious, listening with respect. Yeah. Um, the what I used to say with my students in Presbyterian polity is: listen, everybody should have their say, and they should also realize that everybody will not have their way. Right. 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 So, so that's the collective wisdom. So, it but it is that respect for an ordered way of being in dialogue with each other to discern the will of God for the missioning of the church in the care of creation. How would you, uh, th- just so you know, uh, we talked a little bit before, yeah. I had a list of about eight other things that we're not going to get to today. Um, but so, you know, I'll, you know, we'll maybe I'll get you out of here on this a little bit. Um, uh, folks that are struggling with how to, be ambassadors, right? Uh, Leaders, pastors, teachers that are trying to teach their congregations how to be better ambassadors. Uh, People that are listening to this that are elders or congregation members that are saying, I I love this idea of being an ambassador for Christ in my community, you know, but I'm still struggling. I feel like there are internal roadblocks there. We've talked a lot about, you know, having curious dialogue. So maybe that's one way. What are what are some stepping stones, some ways that you would say if you were coaching somebody through here's here's how to be a better ambassador or here's how to take a, an approach like that? What are some of the things that you would suggest people 
you know, think about, try, practice, that kind yeah. of thing? Um, this is a really simple thing, and it kind of goes back to the invite your kids and grandkids to come in and plan your funeral with you. Right. Yeah, um, that was a great example. Ask yourself, what, what's your what's your favorite what's your favorite parable? What's your favorite um, text uh, in the Bible? Right. Uh, one one text one one parable. So, for example, around Brentwood. The two seminal par uh, parables for us are the parable of the sower, the, well, the parable of the prodigal son, and the parable of the sower. Right. And so it's hospitality. And how do you how do you sow hope and healing in the world? Mm. Right. And that that's how we kind of so young jazz musician um, got involved with us, came up, wanted to be baptized and joined the church conversations about that i said what kept you here not what not what brought you here i mean i knew that it was a, it was the jazz right. but i said what kept you here this was a guy that had been through some some pretty serious um mental mental health challenges and, and a bunch of other traumatizing experiences and he said well first it was the hospitality you just accepted me as i was mm -hmm. um and, and it, but it wasn't in that Anne Lamott says uh, the gospel is about accepting people as they are and not leaving them there. <laughs> and, and, you know, and so That's you great. engage in the conversations in Brentwood, right? And you're not going to be left there, right? But you're always going to be, no matter where you are. And, and this guy's up and down, and he's, you know, um, but Brentwood is always a welcoming space, right? Looking for ways in which he can contribute to our uh, ambassadorship for the gospel. Right. Uh, and so what, what's your favorite parable, your favorite hymn? What, what's the phrase? What's, what's the one word or the one phrase that's most significant? And how would I talk about that with my closest friends? Mm, right. Just simplify it. Simplify it. Yeah. Right. And, and so, so ask, ask yourself that, you know, what's the favorite parable? What's the favorite hymn? What's the favorite text? What's the most powerful word or phrase in there? Mm -hmm. And how can I imagine talking about it um, with um, people in my family, people in my work circles, people in my friends circles, people I play golf with? Sure. Um, and the conversation might open with, what do you think about? And then the word or phrase. Right. Right. And, 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 you know, you may preface with it. I've been, I've been kind of mulling this over. I've been pondering this. I'm wondering what you think about. And, and trust the spirit to take that conversation right. and do what the spirit wants to do with it. You don't have to control it. Right. You don't have to, you don't have to control the result of that conversation. Mm. So frankly, way beyond That's, the day grade. Uh, that needs to be on a billboard somewhere. You don't need to control <laughs> the result of this conversation. That's yeah, that, because I think everybody who enters into, they're like, I'm, I'm going to evangelize today. Yeah, and, yeah. And we're, and I, I got to get the result. We're I, gonna I got to get it. Here and get we're gonna converted. End here and <laughs> that's, right. And you just, you know, the amount of stories that you read about that somebody says, you know, this, this person said this to me in grade 10. And then this person said something to me when I was 22. And when I was 31, it clicked. Like you just, you don't yeah. know. And we just, I, again, we live in a culture where it's, 
everything has to happen right now. What have you done for me lately? What has this conversation done for me lately? Yeah. And um, you have to know exactly what the result is. You have, or yeah. else it's an abject failure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but exactly. that, that should be on a billboard everywhere. But that, but that you, timeline, that timeline yeah. that you just laid out, you know, when I was 17, when I was 25, when I was 31, and finally it clicked. Right. I mean, I've got all sorts of things in my life that didn't click until I was 55. Right. Talk about yeah. a slow learner. <laughs> and and the, the biggest thing that clicked at that point was you're forgiven. Yeah. yeah. And that was exactly what I needed to hear at that point in my life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I just, I love that. That's, that's as good a spot to end as any, right? It's, <laughs> well, listen, I, would, would you've got a slot in the next couple of years and you oh. want to Go to the other questions. Let's do it. I'd There's going to be a part. To, I had this whole, uh, I wanted to talk about church polity and, and how to maximize the use of that. And uh, we need to talk about jazz thing. I, you know, I'd love for you to just spend a couple minutes talking about here at the end, yeah. like what you're up to and how you're using jazz think in your context, because I think that's really important. Uh, and how people can reach out to you to to talk about uh, all of these things to you more. I think that yeah. would be Well, you'll, you'll put the, you'll put the email, um, I'll put all the podcast. links everywhere, but like, more, I'm more than happy to, to respond. That's the best way to do it is by email. Uh, do you want to do kind of a 60 second elevator speech? Yeah, on please death? give me, yeah. Give me the, 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 however many minute version of what, what you're up to with Justin. So this, so we talked, we talked before about what got me into it. Uh, this idea that the most common form of jazz and human experience is ordinary conversation. So what can you learn from jazz musicians about, performing through your conversations. Right. Uh, and your conversations are never, I mean, they, they are, but most conversations that you're aware of uh, are not with yourself. They're with somebody else. Right. Um, so 10 years into it, well, maybe six, seven years into it, I came up with five types of conversations that if you pay attention to having them, will um, enable you to have a positive, make a positive contribution to the flourishing of your communities. Okay. Uh, and I developed an acronym for SMART and then added ER to the end of it. So right. you got that sense of continuous improvement, continual improvement. Right. So soulful, the soulful conversation is the conversation you have with yourself um, where you um, allow in Christian terms, allow the spirit to overcome that sense of shame that makes you negative about yourself. So it's, a, it, it's, it's minimizing the impact of your negative self-talk, right? Uh, mindful, the way I use it is how do you connect and in an align, in an aligning way, like how do you make alliances with other people? Right. And you do that by beginning with curiosity. What do you think? Sure. What have you got to contribute to this relationship and what we're doing? Right. Uh, the astute conversation is how do you analyze and decide? Mm. Right. It's kind of the hard knows what's going well, what's getting in the way of it going better. What are we going to do about it? The responsible conversation then is how do we assign accountability according to gifts, strengths, capabilities? And this is what often doesn't happen. How do we design support for people living into those accountabilities. So it's accountability and support that, that makes you enable to be responsible. And then the trusting conversation at the end, I think trust arises 
when you pay careful attention to monitoring and measuring the faithfulness, wisdom, and effectiveness of what you're doing. And, and you're continually um, uh, recalibrating and, and reforming that to be even more effective, wise, and um, faithful ambassadors of God's forgiving and reconciling love in every space God sends you. So that's your acronym. So how do you do, uh, I mean, you do workshops on this, right? You do um, teaching and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, awesome. so I've, I've got a little booklet um, that, that outlines all of those and that actually suggests questions that you can ask. That's great. To open up conversations about all of those five dimensions. And you have a website where people can find this information? Jazzthink.com. Okay. We'll make sure we link that and your email and yeah. all of your other contact information so that people can start picking your brain on all of the this things. This was drinking from a fire hose today. <laughs> well, I tell you, we've, we've had conversations the opportunity. around this stuff in the past. And I just, it exactly what you just said is, uh, is so true, you know, practically, even in this moment, uh, if jazz is about, you know, improvisation and we're talking about improvising conversation, having the same conversation, but it's different every time. I mean, that's kind of, a, you know, we just did that. This isn't yeah. the first or second time we've had this conversation. <laughs> It's just the first time we've recorded it, but this is certainly, you know, different than the things we've talked about before. So it is uh, yeah. really I thankful. Hope, I hope we find opportunities to continue the conversation on and offline. Yeah, I think that would be great. I'm just, I'm so thankful that you are willing to take a few minutes today uh, or a lot of minutes. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah. 